TV is relying less on advertising revenue than ever before. How is that possible? And how are they making up the difference? And should musicians pay to play the Super Bowl? This is episode two, the hacked photo from iCloud episode of Media Unplugged, the podcast that goes behind the spin to reveal what's really happening in media. Media Unplugged with Tom A. Sacker and Mark Ramsey. Welcome to Media Unplugged. I'm Mark Ramsey. And I'm Tom A. Sacker. Tom, we have a couple of great topics to go through today. These are awesome topics. The first comes to us from a couple of publications, Media Daily News and Media Life uh, magazine. I guess they still call that magazine, don't they? I, yeah, I believe so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they actually do. I'm looking at it. it it's, it's, I don't even know if it's in paper, but they do. Um, the topic is TV is relying less on advertising revenue. I actually should say media companies are relying less on advertising revenue than ever before. This strikes me as so amazing in part because, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't the whole idea of media the creation of advertising? <laughs> well, that, that, that was their primary revenue model, right? I mean, media brands... Well, wasn't it advertisers that created media in the first place? Well, that's true, isn't it? Oh, I never really thought about... What, <laughs> yeah, I see what you're getting at, the whole chicken and egg thing, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like, thank you for the egg, now we're going to you know, go without the chicken. Yeah. Um, here's the gist of some of these articles. The Media Daily News one, it's, uh, it's written by Eric Sass, it's called Media Conglomerates Rely Less on Ad Revenues. I found this really fascinating because I think this is going to be a surprise to a lot of people. The idea is, for example, Les Moonves from uh, CBS says we're now much closer to a 50-50 split of advertising and non-advertising revenue. I don't think people realize that. I think that's remarkable. Don't you? Well, it, it, listen, in general, media brands are witnessing an explosion of competitors, right? Very, media options that also sell advertising. And it, th this is the classic Michael Porter and the Five Forces. The sheer number of new entrants has shifted the bargaining power to the buyers, to the advertisers and their agencies. And so the smart move is to create something distinctive, something of higher value, something that's not easily duplicated. So that's what I think they're all trying to do. That's their march to content, but it's not just let's do more compelling content that we can monetize more effectively through advertising. It's actually a, a, a move away from advertising altogether. I mean, here's some comments from uh, Robert Iger from Disney. You're going to see basically continued pressure on traditional advertising platforms. Meanwhile, revenues from other sources, including theme parks, are growing. So we're talking theme parks. We're talking content licensing. We're talking retransmission. By the way, retransmission revenue has skyrocketed in recent years. That's the money that the cable operators pay to the media companies for the right to air their content. And if you think about it, retrans revenue is equivalent to subscription revenue, right? Because you and I, through our cable fees, are paying the, those monies to the cable operators. They, in turn, are funneling them back to the network. So technically, free TV, that which used to be called free TV is now all subscription television, isn't it? Oh, no, yeah. I don't know how long consumers are going to accept these increasing cable bills to pay these retrans fees because mm -hmm. they, they just keep going up and up. They keep getting passed on. Um, you know, that, that, then it's the broadcasters that are passing them on, and it's just a matter of time before people say enough is enough. And, you know, that time comes when there is an option, mm -hmm. whatever that option happens to be. And that remains to be seen, what that will be. 
Um, in 2007, retrans fees for the industry totaled 0.3 billion. This year, they're expected to reach 4.3 billion, according to SNO Kagan. They've also been focusing more on owning their own content so they can earn money from selling a program, hello, in the syndication market, and then licensing it to over-the-top providers like Netflix and Amazon. So in other words, this is a massive change in the business model and explains why, among other things, Time Warner wants to get rid of Time Magazine because Time Magazine's all about advertising, and not to mention print, and why, uh, relative to last week's conversation, uh, Disney would want to get rid of a bunch of radio stations because those are all about advertising. And to me, it really signals to other media companies, hey, you know, um, this idea that advertising is the end-all and be-all is no longer true in an area when everyone's looking at advertising as their business model, right? Well, of course. I mean, look at, look at YouTube. I, it, you know, to imagine that YouTube is now valued at, I don't know, between 26 and $40 billion dollars, is, is just amazing, and it's because of all these online video ads. I mean, the market projection for video ads in the States over the next three years, I think it's supposed to grow to somewhere around $17 billion. Now, TV, $70 billion, the ad industry and television, $17 billion is a big chunk, right? So, I mean, th this is what's happening. Everybody is trying to get a piece Mm -hmm. of these ad, do ad dollars. I mean, it, it, every model, every business model out there. And I think what's so interesting then for media companies which are competing in this space is there are two ways to look at it. One is, ah, uh, we got to fight harder for that ad dollar. And the other is to say, you know what? Maybe we need to rethink what our competitive advantages are and the way in which we can monetize and even consider other business models besides advertising because at a certain point in time, um, the dollars are going to shift in a way into a place that the big media companies simply don't have an advantage in. Well, I mean, you and I have talked about this a lot. I think the battle, at least in television or video, is going to come down to great content, right? Yeah, that's what the consumer wants. Right, and that's what the consumer is willing to pay for, and um, regardless of the platform that it lives on. Yeah, well, exactly, and that's why live content that draws large audiences is so valuable, right? Like, like sports. That's right, and that leads us to topic two. Should musicians pay to play the Super Bowl? I just love this topic so much because you get to see, <laughs> you get to see some of the real um, interesting attitudes come out of the woodwork. First of all, we've got a couple of articles on this. Uh, one is uh, from The Atlantic uh, that you sent along to me. I don't see who the author is on that, but one's from The Atlantic, and the other <laughs> is from a publication called Pajiba, which I, I, I'm familiar with it to a degree. I think it's primarily a satirical publication, yeah. and judging by the title of the article, that won't come as a surprise, which is Dear NFL, F you pay artists. I, I think we should back up a step, and, and what's the question on the table here? What happened? Walk me through the history. The NFL said what? <laughs> well, they, they basically... This, this is, they didn't say this out loud, but in essence, what they're saying is, hey, look, we've got all these engaged eyeballs for this halftime show, and we think we should get, extract some value from that. So we're going to go out there and find out which one of these artists that we potentially would like to have are willing to pay to go on the stage. You know? And we know for a fact that uh, when people watch these halftime shows, the record sales go up of those artists. So, I don't know, those evil capitalists. I, I mean, imagine, <laughs> imagine trying to make even more money on the fact that they can draw a large audience. On the audience, Super Bowl of all, right? you know what? It occurs to me, someone needs to be reminded, this is not Burning Man. <laughs> this is... 
<laughs> this is this is the Super Bowl. Look, you know what's getting everybody upset? Listen, this is simply a case of pulling back the curtain on the power and value of of exposure, of engaged eyeballs. Right. It's nothing. It's nothing new. And watch how many brands are going to start jumping into this media game because of that. I mean, look at me. Take me. I gave plenty of free speeches in the early days in return for exposure. Right, but you can't do that forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, my agent tells people that you know you can die from exposure. <laughs> so, <laughs> but but this game, this game is nothing new. Book publishers pay to have their books displayed on the tables at the front of the bookstore. Mm-hmm. Product manufacturers pay slotting fees to have prime shelf location in the retail outlets. Right, you got look at look at Mars. Mars uses its strategic advantage of producing candy bars, and what do they do? They buy up most of the best shelf space in the convenience stores. Mm. See, but this is all hidden. This act, this is hidden from consumers. I'll tell you what, Mark, many supermarkets earn more profit from agreeing to carry a manufacturer's product and getting those slotting fees than they do from actually selling the product to the consumers. Of course, that makes sense. I mean, and, and that's alluded to, that kind of thing is alluded to in one of these articles. Neil Burns, who teaches advertising at the University of Texas, also sees the NFL's behavior as understandable, as certainly I do, by the way saying that the league is just one more brand, this is exactly what you're saying, one more brand that's starting to act like a publisher. Brands have begun, I think, to function as highly specialized media organizations, he said, if you can call specialized the biggest stage in America all year. They can't be blamed for trying to rent out a highly valuable content platform. So I think absolutely, I feel about this the same way I feel about Hillary Clinton getting $250,000 to speak before an audience for an hour. If that's what she <laughs> yeah, can get, I mean, great. if they want to pay her, good for her, right? Absolutely, it'll keep every Tom, Dick, and Harry from knocking on her door and asking and being told uh, no. But I'll tell you, this Pajiba piece is just unbelievable. Some of the arguments in here. This trickles down to smaller artists and venues. And if Rihanna is playing to pay the Super Bowl, why should your local bar owner pay a band that's just starting out to play the bar? Play for exposure. That's what all the big names do, after all, and it seems to work out great for them. Yeah, I'm telling you, you, Mark, it it rubs people wrong only because they can't see all of this, (laughs) all of this hidden. I mean, they can't see all the product placements. And TV shows and movies and video games, right? They, they just can't see it. It's like an illusion, but it's all there. They can't see all the quid pro quo, the morning shows, pimping the stars and the shows on their network, mm-hmm. right? People tweeting each other's stuff, appearing on oh, each yeah. other's blogs. It's all about, I help you build your audience, you help me build mine. That's it, exactly. They don't see it, but boy, it's everywhere. And by the way, do you suppose it was the NFL that, uh, that uh, leaked this or maybe one of the labels. I don't know. The NFL doesn't seem really to care about what people think. Oh, it's absolutely the labels. (laughs) (laughs) It's absolutely the labels. And oh, by the way, the NFL also reportedly wants part of the 360 uh, degree deal of the artist. In other words, not just to pay for uh, performing on the day of, but a piece of your touring revenue going forward. And there's another entity that has those same kind of 360 degrees with the artist. Friends, they are called labels. (laughs) All right, uh, you're listening to Media Unplugged with Tom Asacker and Mark Ramsey. Tom, it's time for my favorite part of the show, now that we're two full shows deep, rants and raves. Do you have a rant or a rave today? Well, I have a a unique combination of a rant and rave at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Leave it to you to create a new product category. So the city of Toronto 
they they ran a very clever anti-littering ad campaign. I don't know if you if you heard about this or saw it, but they created and displayed posters, which what they looked like were photos of discarded uh, brand name packaging, and this discarded packaging sp spelled out insults. <laughs> directed at, at, at litter bugs. For example, they had like, on one was a Lay's potato chip bag together with a torn crazy glue package. And the only visible letters created was lazy. <laughs> or, or they had a sweet and low package and a lifesavers package and it spelled out low life. Mm -hmm. And then the tagline read, littering says a lot about you. Mm. So, so anyway, so the city had to pull the images because some of the companies complained that their trademarks were being violated, which, you know, is certainly true. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the images in the association uh, were, de were depreciating those brands' goodwill and reputation. So, so my rave and rant both go to the ad agency, right? I rave at the creativity of the work. It was brilliantly executed. But I have to rant at the strategy. <laughs> Trying to shame people or scare them mm -hmm. into changing their behavior is a misguided approach. I mean, if they were really interested in, in doing and having an impact, they should have taken a page out of the, uh, the highly successful anti-littering campaign by the Texas Department of Transportation, right? The don't mess with Texas. Yes. It's an identity statement that people want to buy into. Mm. You know, it's a declaration about my Texas swagger. That's who we are. That's who I am. Nobody wants to see that they're lazy or a lowlife. <laughs> You know, <laughs> and listen, I won't even get into them not considering the response that the various brands would have to that execution. You know, those those were advertisements. They're not works of art. They weren't targeting the brands for some kind of comic effect or ridicule. Uh -huh. They were making an association and it was not a good one. Oh, that's awesome. What an awesome rant rave. Thank you. <laughs> All right. I've got I've got, I think. Uh, I, good luck for me to ever find a rant as good as this again. This is from, uh, and you will have heard of this, this is from a site called jimromanesco.com. Um, and here's the story. Apparently, on September 2nd at 1249 p.m., the social media team for the show Sleepy Hollow initiated a new social media campaign. Have you heard about this? No. Subject. And this is the email that went out to everybody. Sleepyheads celebrate Headless Day. E-cards available. That was at 12.49 p.m. Um, minutes later, the second journalist was beheaded by ISIS. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> now, here's the text of this uh, email. Heads will roll as sleepyheads celebrate Headless Day today, September 2nd. On this National Beheading Day... Viewers everywhere can share in the fun as fans prepare for the release of Sleepy Hollow Season 1 on Digital HD now and arriving on Blu-ray and DVD September 16. We hope you like them and are able to share them with your readers. Please tag them with hashtag Headless Day. Oh, man. Talk about <laughs> bad timing. And, and some of the cards are like, with hair like this, I think I'd rather be headless. Hashtag Headless Day. Um, here's one of Ichabod Crane holding a skull, and it says, I knew you'd forget your head if it wasn't attached. Here's another of the Headless Horseman holding an axe, and it says, Does this axe make my head look small? So, <laughs> this went out at 1249. This follow-up message went out approximately one hour and ten minutes later. Dear journalists, 
We apologize for the unfortunate timing of our Sleepy Hollow Headless Day announcement. The tragic news of Stephen Sotloff's death hit the web as the email was being sent. Our deepest sympathies are with him and his family, and we don't take this news lightly. Had we known this information prior, we would have never released the alert and realized it's in poor taste. Please accept our sincerest apologies. So I have two thoughts about this, okay? First of all, um, the idea of journalists being beheaded by terrorist organizations was not new on the afternoon of September 2nd, right? right? It had been in the ether for days and for weeks, and in fact, this man's fate— was very much a topic of discussion on and around this day, at and around this time. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, it was all out there. Um, they would have to be blind to the news not to know that and to realize that it was in poor taste prior to the release of this initiative. So, that's point number one. So, obviously, they were either incredibly stupid and should all be fired, or, and here's point number two. This is a classic case of newsjacking, and the people behind the campaign knew full well what they were doing. Uh, they may not have known that someone was about to be beheaded, but they certainly knew someone just had been and another was possible at any time. And their intention from the very beginning was to walk it back because the publicity was, would be uh, strong either way. So those are the two possibilities. What do you think? Oh, I'm, I'm going to hope and pray for ignorance. You know, because I don't want to lose my faith any further in humanity. (laughs) So that is my rant for the week. Um, That's Media Unplugged for this week. Please remember to subscribe to us at iTunes or on Stitcher. Can you believe we're on iTunes and Stitcher? Where are the standards over there? I don't know. (laughs) And, And while you're there, please rate the show. It does help other folks discover us, and you know someone consider that a good thing. You can follow Tom on Twitter, at Tom Asacker, and Mark at Mark Ramsey Media. Send us your questions and comments using hashtag Media Unplugged, not hashtag Headless Day. If there's a media topic you want us to cover, tweet us, tweet us, tweet us. You can read the show notes and share the show at our website, MediaUnplugged.net. And here's the big news, drumroll. This week, we want to welcome the new producer of Media Unplugged. If there's a reason the show sounds better... Uh, Jeff Schmidt is that reason. Jeff, exciting audio for media. You can find him at jeff-schmidt.com. That's S-C-H-M-I-D-T.com. For Tom Asacker, I'm Mark Ramsey. Thanks for listening.